everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the Food and Wine Variety Show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on another scuzzy, rainy Sunday. I'm never going to get to the pool. No. You're I'm not getting tan this, this summer. summer. No tan like this summer. It's not happening. Bummer. But we got a great show. Mm-hmm. That'll heat things up. What a great segue. Okay. So coming up on June 19th, D.C. residents are going to vote on Initiative 77, which is a very controversial uh, proposal to eliminate the tip minimum wage in all D.C. restaurants, which essentially means for diners, the tip will be rolled into whatever you're paying and for servers could mean a loss of a lot of money so uh we've got uh we don't know if it's good or bad and we're going to talk about it today actually that's not true well, we, we do know, know it's if it's good or bad so we know it's bad the, the other people but uh in today to discuss all sides of the issue are two of dc's highest profile restaurant tours uh, jill tyler co-owner of tail up goat delicious food and Genevieve Villamora, co-owner of Bad Saint, delicious food. And there we are. He says that, but he hasn't been there. Huh? <laughs> but I've been there, I so I know home. it's amazing. She came home. She said, you got to go to Bad Saint. I said, well, you got to take me. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, and Thea Merrill is a server at Rose's Luxury. And uh, did I say it right? Merrill. I did it. Okay. And uh, she's got her own take on it. They all think you should vote no. And that's, I think that's probably the way it's going to go. But we want to hear about both sides. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Need some caffeine? Yeah, go ahead. Candy Shibley's in here. She's the owner and founder of Southern Roastery. It's a small batch specialty coffee roasting company in uh, the Isle of Wight County, Virginia. And uh, we're going to talk about, she's one of the, it's still a male-dominated business, I think. And uh, Candy's in to talk Actually, about. Actually, but look at all the women in studio today. I know, it's pretty I, cool. I I'm very to excited. Say, I'm afraid. Yeah, um, <laughs> you should but be. Candy, Candy's going to talk about. Uh, how she tries to incorporate women into her supply chain, women-owned businesses, to encourage that, and also about women in her uh, in her industry. And also, she's going to be pouring some of her delicious oh, yeah, coffee. Gonna, I mean, yeah, I made the mistake of getting other coffee today. That was stupid. It was I'm really be stupid. Flying by the time this show's over. Okay. All right. So uh, at DC, at the Ritz Carlton, Washington DC, the Quadrant Bar and Lounge is doing something. It's like space age. They launched a a, a sound age spirits program. They use sonic sound wave technology to mimic the taste and qualities of traditionally aged spirits. So, in other words, when you're drinking what tastes like a 12-year-old whiskey, it could be a two-day-old whiskey. Am I right? Something like that. It's like something. I'm exaggerating. Well, wait till he gets on so air. Chris Mendenhall's in. He's their lead mixologist. He's going to tell us all about it. And uh, I'm sure everyone's okay. wondering what makes the wines of Margaret, uh, Margaret River, Western Australia, Better and different than probably any. Uh, I think the the yellowtail commercials, you know, screw this everybody is the up longest here. There's some amazing wines ever. coming out of Australia. So uh, Bruce Dukes is in. Uh, he's uh, let's see. He your winery is Naturalist Vintners. Am I right? Domain Naturalist. Domain Naturalist. Domain Naturalist. Mm-hmm. Oh well. I came close. And we already but have wine in front of us, that's which right. I'm we're really looking forward that. to drinking. And we're going to get we're going to be shafaz by the and then we've got the Rammies tonight. It's okay. I won't be we're sober we're pre-gaming. For days. We're getting it ready. All right, but first let's go to Mitch Berliner at Central Farm Markets and find out what's going on on this cloudy day at the markets. Good morning. Well, that was going to be one of my small two comments about your introduction because my brilliant actually, introduction, you mean? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's 
actually not raining. It's a little cool, a slight breeze, and our markets are crowded. So it's actually a beautiful day to come out. Of course. And the other thing is, I'm all over your thing about women. My mom had a job since she was 16 year old and her own business. I'll bet you so were I the job. Was, <laughs> yeah. And well, I was the job growing up. It was amazing that she had another kid after me. But anyway. <laughs> but um, that's a whole, whole other show, Mitch. That's a whole right, other show. I, right. But I just thought it was normal that women be in the workplace. And if you don't have them in the workplace and doing stuff, you'll never be anything a society can be. It's not complicated. Right. Anyway, totally so, now, with you. Um, so what's going on? Well, it's berry bonanza, blackberries, red raspberries, blueberries, strawberries. So we you have all the all. berries. We were talking all about berries, berries before we were on the phone with you. And we've got even the first pie cherries, a.k.a. sour cherries, which also, besides pies, I have to tell you, makes great soup, cold cherry soup. If you haven't had just Google it. It's really delicious. Hmm. And, yeah, really good. It's uh, I, I think in Scandinavia they do a lot of cold fruit soups, and they're really, really delicious. Mm -hmm. um, next week, Father's Day, it's going to have the first corn. So, um, And we have all kinds of We have of corn at our house every day. Well, okay. But, but, but That's because I live with my husband. I mean, Thank seriously. You. I resemble that remark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway, we, uh, of course, always have live music. And next week, we have free um, kids programs to make Dad a gift. So you come, and we'll have little Hear things. That, you know, I completely forgot. Next Sunday is Father's Day. Yes, Tess, you can make Dad a gift at the farmer's no, market no, next no, week. No, you can buy Dad a gift. <laughs> Something that Dad well, wants Well, you can do both. They're not mutually exclusive. That's true. And uh, and I do have a question because you guys are pretty smart. So Mother's Day, you take care of Mom. You Maybe you take her out. and uh, Maybe you make dinner at home first. She doesn't do a dish. And on Father's Day, fathers do the barbecue. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Okay, uh, never mind. Just no, no, to be fair, Mitch, just so you know, at our house, I'm the only one who touches she the cooks, grill. She cooks, I do the dishes. That's, yeah. how that <laughs> That's the deal. All right, Mitch, we got to okay. roll. Um, okay. uh, make sure everybody so, knows where all the markets are, sure. please. Well, we have four markets, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, Pike and Rose on Saturday in Rockville, the Westfield Montgomery Mall Saturday, and then our two Sunday markets, <laughs> Mosaic District and downtown Bethesda. Look up Bethesda. CentralFarmMarkets.com for details, and you guys have a wonderful day. You too. All right, Take thanks, care. bud. All right, Bruce, Bruce Dukes. Dukes. So yeah, we got a little Australia Na in studio Naturally today. Vintners is is wait a minute. Wait, wait, let's everybody come on. We're gonna start. <laughs> we're gonna drink. We're gonna do all that. But you guys are in the far southwest corner of Australia, and you make amazing wines. How do you know? Have you had his wines? Yes, we've we've had we've. Had, are you kidding? I don't know. Eric's been in here before. Yes, but I don't know if he's ever brought these wines. No, he hasn't. You've never had these wines. I've never had his wines, but I know that I know Margaret River. Okay. So there. So Bruce, stop come trying up to, to the put mic. me down, foodie. Okay. I'm the beast. Tell us about your world and why the wines there are so great, Bruce. Well, Margaret River is one of the last sort of wine frontiers on the face of this earth that verges on the Indian Ocean to the north, to the west, and with the great Southern Ocean to the south. And so it has a lovely moderating influence from the ocean that cools it down and it really comes to a long, gentle growing season. And that combined with some ancient sort of decomposed granite soils just makes it a pristine place in the world to grow wine grapes. Well, and I how long have you been growing wine grapes there? 
I've been uh, working with wine grapes now and soils and climates and sustainable farming and making wine now for 28 years. Mm-hmm. And most people don't know that Bruce actually is from Yonkers, New York, but he has acquired that <laughs> accent. It's really amazing, Bruce. <laughs> um, uh, but so what got you into the business? I always loved things that grew and bubbled and burbled. And in my first life, I was an agronomist focusing on plant nutrition. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly worked out that it was a whole lot more fun working with wine grapes because they always seem to grow by the coast. So it's a nice place to live. There's always nice olive oil and good food. And the wine allowed me to combine my interests of, of plants and soils with the wine and things that bubbled and fermented. So it was the, the perfect conclusion. Why okay. don't we talk about this first line of uh, wine? First? And I also will get into where we can find your wines here in the D.C. area. Well, that'll be later in yes. the show. So our first wine is my domain naturalist, Discovery Chardonnay. And it's a great discovery, I hope, for all. And the reason why I made this wine that's all fermented in lovely oak barrels, but older oak, so it's just a softening of the wine and really dominated by the fruits is to match with really quite delicate foods and things like shellfish, chicken, beef capracho. And it's all about the, the cleanliness of flavours and natural balance of the acidity in the wine. Excellent. Okay, well, we're going to sip on this. But now we're going to get into I'm a little... I'm going to chug it. Actually. Okay, you chug it. We'll all sip and enjoy uh, the notes of the wine. Uh, but we're going to get into a bit of a serious topic. Can we're we gonna... just remind everybody we're live on Facebook Live? Mm-hmm. Go thanks ahead. Thanks to You're Tessa Nellis, Hollywood producer. Yes. <laughs> film, uh, film editor extraordinaire yes, Tessa Nellis uh, is on, uh, putting us on Facebook Live. But we are talking about uh, Initiative 77. It is a proposal that is coming up that it's going to be voted on. We have talked about it with Kathy Hollinger from RIMW. We have talked about it with... ROC, right? The guys from ROC who also came in studio to talk about it. And everybody we have talked to has said, you got to vote no on Initiative 77. But yet the message is still not 100% out there. So um, Genevieve, step up to the mic. We have Genevieve. Can we explain and, first what it is? What are people yes. voting on? Who and they're can only explain voting it in the district, by the way. Right. This is not area-wide. Um, so Initiative 77 is a ballot initiative brought to D.C. from an outside labor group. Mm-hmm. Um, that's goal is to have all states ultimately, I think is what they hope to go to what they call one fair wage, which sounds really good on paper. It they sounds hope, really good on paper. It sounds it really does. good on paper. Um, let's just agree. It sounds good on paper. Great. I think we're, yeah, <laughs> yeah we're all in agreement. On all that. in agreement. <laughs> um, but what that means is doing away with the tipped minimum wage and moving all tipped employees to the full minimum wage. Um, and that I believe is going to be really detrimental to the community that DC has created, both for small businesses who have invested in our city um, and opened businesses kind of with our ideals at the forefront of how we do business. I think it's going to kind of cause that to fade as businesses have to make really hard decisions. And also I don't think it's good for the majority of our workers. Um, But let's get into the particulars of that because for people not in the industry, the (laughs) restaurant industry, they don't understand how tipped waging works. 
So I would love Thea to expect, since you are a server, to explain that because how it, well, obviously, but uh, <laughs> to explain how it works, because when you hear about Initiative 77, the reason why it sounds so fair is because it sounds like tipped workers sometimes don't get paid a full wage, which is obviously not the case. But can you explain no. that? Yeah. So the tipped minimum wage in D.C., um already kind of guarantees us minimum wage we have a base wage of 333 that is already slated to like move up slowly over the next couple of years um dc council voted on that just last year mm -hmm. and if you do not hit minimum wage with your tips then your employer your restaurant or your bar covers that and you do make minimum so wage on a daily at... basis if you don't get 15 dollars an hour uh, you haven't arrived at that with tips and your minimum and your 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 hourly wage they're bound by law to make it make that up and make sure you get that correct yeah they are bound by law to pay us minimum wage right. if which our tips not, do not which is not fifteen dollars an hour yeah yeah i'm projecting <laughs> yeah. that's right right but, so no matter what you make minimum wage yes no but, matter what already but so that's like if uh it's a slow night and uh you're in but there's not a lot of diners you still get paid your hour hourly rate right yeah. but on a full night not only do you get your hourly rate but you're getting more. tips you're getting more exactly so I, so I would assume that most servers would be against initiative 77 yeah I have served in and out of this DC restaurant community Philadelphia and New York and I don't know anyone in the three cities or anyone in this city that is like for it that is currently um a restaurant worker. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a question. You all represent top restaurants in this city, so your places are jammed. If I'm working at a at a local, you know, a neighborhood place somewhere in D.C. and you know traffic's fine on, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, Saturday, but not during the rest of the week, am I at a disadvantage? I mean, do I do I want Initiative Seventy Seven to succeed because I'll actually make more money? No, I think that um, for me at least, um, if I have worked in those places as well, so like I'm still getting minimum wage, number one. And number two, like if you say you are that place, right, and you already have that as your issue, how are you then paying your staff like $15 an hour without generating income on that moving night? If you are that server on staff, usually like you can track that and like either the scheduling for those days is a little bit lighter right or you have a little more flexibility and like staying or going but i don't think that just like ultimately flatlining everyone at 15 dollars an hour is okay. going to like well, help any of us genevieve who's for this then i mean who's the right opposition? who is for it well um all the restaurants that we represent um jill tail of goat um thea representing a staff the staff of roses and then me representing bad saint as a co-owner We've been working together over the past several months because we have been trying to organize the voices of small, independent um, restaurant and bar owners here in D.C., mm -hmm. which is really the vast majority of the restaurant industry in this town. I think the number that we've heard a lot is that 96% of the restaurant and bar industry in D.C. is locally owned. Mm -hmm. And especially since the group that's coming to advocate for this initiative is a group that's based outside of the city, um, because we feel so strongly about this community um, and these businesses that we've built over time, we felt that it was really important to organize as local businesses. To okay, I'm going to have to interrupt you. We yes. have to take a quick break. Yes. When we come oh. back, I want to talk about the fact that you guys did all organize, but that it is 
universal here in the city of why people feel that you should vote no. I mean, you see signs all over the city. But I want to, we talked about a couple of things off air, and I want to get into that, like sexual harassment, things of the nature, why some people think Initiative 77 will help with that. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We're talking about why you should vote no on Initiative 77 and drinking some Australian wine. And I got more coming up. We'll be back in a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking about Initiative 77, which comes up for vote on the 19th, mm-hmm. and it's all about whether or not we should keep tipping in restaurants or whether tips will be rolled into pricing. And Genevieve Villamora from Bad Saint was... I, here's the question, because it sounds to me, and we've met a lot of people and we've talked about it for several months, that everybody in our world is against Initiative 77, but somebody's for it. And we, we talked about this outside union that, that's for it, but why would anybody listen to them? What's going on there? Well, um, something that this group of local business owners um, that we actually share in common with Rock is I think we as small business owners all agree that the end goals of what Rock says they care about and the reasons why they say they're putting this initiative up in D.C. are things that we actually agree with mm-hmm. and are things that we stand by in our own businesses in terms of um, creating cultures and environments where staff feel safe and secure, um, creating um, businesses where people can earn good money and build a career and have opportunities for professional advancement. Um, Then why not vote for this? Well, where we diverge paths from Rock is that we think that the approach to getting to the end goal is not something that's going to work in D.C. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, um, it's, it's a pretty simplistic... Um, measure that treats lots of different kinds of businesses one way that it and the measure it sounds like was really meant to target a very small percentage of types of businesses these really large chain places like um like Jimmy an Applebee's or, or something like IHOP, that and that's admittedly yeah. a very tiny percentage of the food service in businesses DC. in D.C. Well, so what we were talking about off air was we were talking about, you know, there are some celebrities who have taken up this cause. And while they were public initially about it, now they're kind of being kind of like Sarah Jessica Parker hosted like a fundraiser for it recently, but she didn't publicize it. Um, so I don't I'm not sure why of that, but they've taken up this cause because they feel that this can uh, help uh, do away with sexual harassment in the restaurant industry. Where do you all stand on that? I think if we really look at industries and look at sexual harassment, um, I don't think you can point towards restaurant employees being any more sexually harassed than any other industry. I think Mm -hmm. it has much less to do with compensation and much more to do with culture and kind of echoing what Genevieve said, creating safe spaces where employees feel um, the ability to call out customer bad behavior if it exists or bad behavior within the restaurant group itself. Um, and so I don't think that changing the minimum wage ultimately changes someone's ability to suddenly not experience sexual harassment right, anymore. Because it is that a culture, one doesn't right. correlate with the other. How you're paid does not change mm-hmm. how a sexual predator is approaching you, be it at work or being catcalled. It isn't, ha- it doesn't have anything to do with wealth. Okay. I mean, I think that makes sense, but I do believe that that's what they're trumpeting. Mm-hmm. And, um... You know, it again, if you're not completely up to date on all the details of what Initiative 77 is about, some of it rings true. So I know you guys are on a full blown campaign to educate people. I mean, the industry is I mean, there are signs all over the city 
in every restaurant. People are wearing pins. It's all over people's Instagram pages. But how else are you educating the public at this point? Because getting to the people who go to the polls but who are not not in the industry may not know. And like we discussed, that language is really misleading. Um, I've been really impressed with um, my staff's engagement on this Mm -hmm. um, because it was really important to us in the beginning that we not come out against 77 if the majority of our staff had different opinions than us. So when this first kind of all came on the ballot and we were talking to our staff, we sent out anonymous polls so people could interact with us without having to tell us to our faces, we are for this, we are against this. And what we found out is universally our staff said, no, we are against 77. Please campaign publicly. Mm-hmm. Say you can represent us. Um, and so I think we're seeing a lot more people get involved, not just from the small business side, but from the people who would most affect the tipped employees. Mm-hmm. Um, people are campaigning. People are going door to door. A lot of my staff has volunteered uh, for Election Day on June 19th to be at the polls to talk to people as they come in. Um, and I think the level of engagement, I've never talked to so many council members. I've been in D.C. since 2002. So it's been an interesting dive for me into local politics um, and learning a lot more just about how all those pieces work. But really, it's been um, I think the voices of tipped workers has been really important. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, is there somewhere on the Web where people can go to get educated? I think there's quite a few things to look at. Um Genevieve and I um, both signed on to an uh, open letter that many small businesses signed on on at votenow77.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I think looking to studies outside of what Rock is putting up is really important. Um, right. I mentioned Rock earlier. That's not who we had in. So I just want to amend that. But uh, can we just talk quickly? I know you want to move on. But uh, before we wrap this up, mm-hmm. you mentioned Seattle mm-hmm. earlier when we were off air that they did this mm-hmm. and that it's it did not work well? It's not going great. Um, so the University of Washington has put out a study that's saying since Seattle enacted this idea of one fair wage, 5,000 low-wage jobs have been lost in Seattle, and that take-home pay is actually down about $125 a month for tipped employees because hmm. even though the wage rate has gone up, as businesses try to figure out how to stay solvent with a huge increase in labor, people are cutting hours, cutting jobs, and cutting shifts. Ed Lazare at the Black Cat panel said restaurants are creative. They'll be creative. They'll figure it out. I just want to be clear when he says creative, that is a euphemism for job loss. Of course. Well, you should tweet it, Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> the Nikki Nellis lookalike. <laughs> All right, guys, Nikki's thank you. Up. And I guess <laughs> what you. we should say is vote no on June 19th. Yes, exactly. Thank you all for coming right. in. All right, Bruce, we want to have you come back up to the mic, please. So this so, was lovely. Uh, yeah, and I, I, an interesting sort of dovetail here is I, I noted from your bio that you're a big proponent of sustainable agriculture. So how does that all dovetail into the taste of your wines and you know what you're able to produce? I think the, the sustainability, it's always important that you want to feel good about what you do and the satisfaction. And we've found that applying these sustainable farming techniques over the last quarter of a century... They quite simply lead to happier grape vines, happier soils. And so when the vine's happy, the fruit's beautiful, and it follows through to beautifully balanced wines. All right. Sorry, I was directing traffic. I know, there. and I don't know why. You weren't listening. Um, so do I you, was listening. Um, I was do also... you employ, like, biodynamic tactics? I employ what's called the sustainable farming practices mm-hmm. and the, the training in agronomy in my first life was all about that. And so I draw on inspirations for a number of disciplines to reach the best overall balance at the end of the system. 
Okay. And so what are we going to pour next? All right. So we're coming up. We're visiting the great red wines of Margaret River. Mm -hmm. And our message is very, very simple in Margaret River. Our white wines, Chardonnay, and our red wines, Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay. So those are the grapes that are poured. So what are you pouring for us? So we're now having a glass of the 2015 Discovery Cabernet Sauvignon from mm -hmm. Domain Naturalist. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Well, while you're pouring that, we uh, we have two minutes until we have to take a break, but we are going to start talking coffee because we believe in double fisting in studio. We'll have a little wine, we'll have a little coffee, and then I got a little spirits coming in later, so it's all good. Um, so, Candy, I'm going to need you to step up to the mic so that you can come and talk to us. So, hi. All right. Hi. So, so how did you get into coffee? Uh, it, it was a process, <laughs> kind of a process of elimination. Mm -hmm. I'd been working um, as an engineer for about six years and then uh, kind of got tired of that, went to business management consulting and um, decided, you know what, I want to go back to school for international affairs and natural resources and sustainable development mm -hmm. um, to try and get into kind of the more um, policy aspects of engineering. Mm -hmm. With the idea of looking into environmental policy okay, and, and environmental policy aspects of, of engineering. And so when I went to graduate school, I did part of that uh, education in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. And, and was you were like, oh, my God, the coffee is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I was introduced to a number of coffee farms um, as well as different uh, agricultural ranches and just kind of fell in love, um, like he was saying. Right. <laughs> With the environment, with being you know near uh, a beach and, and mountains and uh, missed fresh food, mm. Do you need and an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know what, I want to be in something that you know this is actually my lifestyle on a you know semi regular basis. So mm -hmm. I'm with that's you on kind that. of what got me into coffee. But were you a coffee drinker at the time? Everybody, please take some coffee. Yes, please, please. Um, I was a coffee drinker. Mm -hmm. I wasn't an avid coffee drinker. It mm -hmm. wasn't my favorite beverage. Um, I definitely am a, a wine drinker. I mm -hmm. love my red wines. <laughs> I love my Bruce real is very happy to hear that. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, you know what? Let's take a quick break. And when we take a quick break, I know you're going to do some pour overs. Mm -hmm. And um, we can start doing that. And then we can talk about, I mean, there is a lot of coffee on the market. Right. So I want to hear about what you thought you could bring to the table. Yes, how, you, how you're going up against the boys. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. All right, this is David and Nikki Nellis <laughs> with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Candy Shibley, who's the owner and founder of Southern Roastery. Southeastern. Uh, oh, well. No worries. Southeastern uh, 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 Roastery. Yeah, Southeastern. Mm, bad <laughs> typing. Um, uh, the, you're My a small brother. batch specialty coffee roaster. Mm -hmm. But and what does that really yeah, mean? Well, I, I let's was talk say, about what that means. Because, you know, you got a Starbucks that is a big batch right. roaster. Right. Um, what that means is that I use the smallest commercial roaster on the market, probably. Okay. Um, I've got a, uh, uh, a one kilogram uh, Mill City roaster that I roast on. Um, mm -hmm. I do my overflow uh, roasting, though, on a, uh, uh, I can do 10 pounds at a time on a, about an 18 kilogram roaster. Okay. Um, 12 to 18. And so roasting in small batches basically just means that I do about 2.2 to about 10 pounds at a time. But right you're now. controlling it in a way that, I mean, we, we were I talking can, before about how some of the big guys have to maintain a uniform exactly. presentation across, you know, their right. whole market. And a Starbucks is. So I know. roast all manually right now. 
um, which means that uh, the, most of the roasters, my roaster that I use in Songbird Record and Music Cafe, mm-hmm. for example, is uh, not Everybody's computerized. Everybody's shaking their heads. So like, All right, that's cool. We like that. <laughs> so I, I don't uh, log in my profiles. I do it mostly by hand, by smell, um, by sight. Um, I do have profiles that I use, recipes, um, but um, I definitely alter them based on humidity, uh, weather conditions, whether I feel like the machine is running too hot or not. Mm-hmm. So, How yeah. do you go about sourcing your beans? So I use um, a lot of local importers, actually. So, for example, the um, Colombian uh, that's on pour over right now is coming from a woman out of uh, Arlington, Virginia, whose family owns farms in Antioquia, Colombia. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tanzania uh, is a sample batch from uh, a woman who lives in Baltimore, Maryland, mm-hmm. and is importing uh, from uh, her family in uh, Kenya and their cooperative and, and other cool. uh, farms. So, so you're, you're sourcing from them, and then you're taking the beans, and then you're roasting them to how you think they will showcase best. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So like you poured this first. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you pour us? Tell so us. I poured you a... You gotta, uh, you gotta talk in front of the mic or else nobody I, else will hear sure, you. Sure, sure. I poured you a, a Blue Flores uh, Prasada from uh, Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And it is a sample roast, so I don't have that in a, a full bag. But okay. I am exploring um, purchasing this bag. And so what I'll do is I'll get sample, sample packages, uh, which are smaller packages of raw beans, and do test runs, basically... Mm-hmm experiments on how much heat they need, um, how much time it takes to roast it. Let me ask you a question. With all that TLC that goes into literally sort of every bean, how do you get big? How do you grow? Because you're like a craft brewer in a way who started off as, you know, how do you go big and still keep that kind of personal connection to what you're doing? That's a wonderful question. And that's something that I'm... I only ask that kind of question. (laughs) That's a that's something that I'm grappling with right now. So I, I just made it into a mess hall. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, hopefully that'll like expand my reach a bit well, when, more. So if you've made it into mess hall, mm-hmm. which is a fabulous incubator, mm-hmm. are you producing at mess hall? Or are you help hoping that they will help you mm-hmm. get clients? Like what is what is what is the goal of being at mess hall? So uh, one is to um, just have a solid base for packaging and distribution, okay. particularly larger, larger batches. Mm-hmm. Um, two, it's to definitely get more integrated into the uh, culinary community here in DC and regionally and hopefully nationally as so well. So where do you see sales for you as being most effective? Do you want to be in restaurants? Do you want to have your own brick and mortar? Do you want to be pouring at farmers markets? Do you, uh, you know, ha- what what is your goal? Like right, right now, where do you think the best place is for you in the coffee market? So I am adamant about wholesale um, mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. Um, one, I am definitely a foodie, so I uh, love working. No, with no, no. See, I'm the foodie. <laughs> That's what the show you're, is called. You're the foodie. Right. Very, I'm, I'm one, very of, one of the many foodies. Ego, so you can't say that. Very thin skin. Um, but I, I really love working with people who enjoy exploring flavors and pairing, for example, wines or whiskeys or coffees mm-hmm. with foods. Um, so I want to remain in the, in the wholesale realm, mm-hmm. not necessarily, at least right now, open up a brick and mortar. Um, I would like to open up a roastery and one that is really integrated within the community. So mm-hmm. part of my reason for naming uh, the company Southeastern Roastery, one is because I started in southeastern Virginia, but two, I definitely want to have a space in uh, Ward 7 or Ward 8 
that is a roastery, but also will be a mentorship facility for, for the community. students mm -hmm, who are interested in science and math and want to apply uh, practical applications or want, want to have a space to be able to apply um, science and math practically, learn about business development, business engagement. And then if you know artists want to come in and use it as a practice space or painting space or you know music space or what have you, they can, can come there and maybe get a coffee for like a dollar, dollar fifty, you know, some community price. But I mm -hmm. really want my business to be supported by wholesale to restaurants, uh, hotels, mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, we got about thirty seconds. Well, wait, did you pour another coffee that you want us to taste? You don't I have to did, give it to I, us now, but I you did, can just tell us about it. Tell us about the coffee, and then we'll taste it off air. Sure, sure. So um, I poured a uh, Colombian Castillo, mm -hmm. which is a very classic uh, chocolate uh, cacao coffee. Okay. Um, when you think of, I think when most people think of coffees, that's the general general thought mm -hmm. uh, is a Colombian. Um, I also poured a sorry a Tanzanian pea berry, which I'm loving this this coffee. It's got a very uh, kind of caramely, butterscotchy, fruity flavor to it, and has some of the earthiness that African coffees have. Excellent! So, oh, I can't wait yeah. to try it. Excellent! Okay, great. <laughs> All right. So, how do people find you and find your beans? Yeah. Sure. So uh, you can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm definitely active at Southeastern Roastery. Mm -hmm. um, on Twitter at SE Roastery, uh, on oh, Facebook at slash Southeastern Roastery. Mm -hmm. uh, come by Songbird Record and Music Cafe, Penny Brew, Burn and Brew in Arlington, um, Key Kratom on U Street, uh, a few other places and as well. Maybe some of the best restaurants in Washington. Right. Yes, exactly. hopefully. <laughs> right. Thank Great. you for joining Thanks us. So much. I look forward to Hope tasting some of those. All Absolutely. Right. Bruce, back to you. So, um, Let's talk about the kinds of wines that you're producing in this region. For people who maybe aren't familiar with the terroir of the region, can you give us tell us a little bit more about it? The the overview of my region and the varieties that really seem to have a, a natural affinity with the climate and the soils for the whites are Chardonnay mm -hmm. and for the reds, Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm -hmm. And it's perhaps not surprising when you look at us in a global context that we're a uh, little warmer than, say, the growing climate in Bordeaux, a little cooler than the growing climate in Napa Valley. And so the way that translates through to our Cabernet Sauvignon wines is wines of, of lovely fragrances and fruit freshness on medium-bodied medium tannic densities. And so to me, they're, they're just lovely styles of wine that I think have evolved with what I call our... Australian coastal foods. Mm -hmm. um, and are there, are those really the two traditional grapes to that area? Are people getting, are people trying other things? Because you you're finding is. a lot of new grapes in all yeah. the different areas now. Are they doing the same thing in that Look, area there too? There is a, a lot of exploration of different varieties mm -hmm. within Margaret River of Fiano, Vermentino, sure. Gamay, but my, my lifelong quest, and I love drinking other people's versions of the wine, but my lifelong quest is to really refine and try and understand the basic varietals of the area, and that's my lifelong challenge and pursuit. Well, let Excellent. me ask you a quick question. Eric Platt from Hops and Vines is here, too, with, with Bruce. I mean, when I see in, in the general media uh, something about Australian wines, it's always Yellowtail, which is a, you know... a basically pretty run-of-the-mill table wine. What are you talking about in the media? You mean you see commercials? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Right, but that's a commercial. You're in advertising. You know how that works. Somebody pays for an ad, you see it on TV. I'm, that's I'm how that works. I'm asking a question. Good okay. Lord, what is you're, the question? you are something else. 
anyways, what I'm asking is, is that coloring people's, you know, the, the great unwashed sort of sense of what Australian wines are? And does that inhibit? Does that matter? Does that, is it a, a, not an issue? Well, I think the, the yellowtail wines have probably been uh, a great entry point for people to discover some of the characters of Australian wine, but it's also important to remember the large number of artisanal producers, farmers who are, are focusing on slightly different styles of wines that can deliver truly unique expressions from single vineyards, from single locations in different regions of Australia. And so there's this whole wealth of, of beautiful vines, finely crafted wines that do make a, a quite an extensive picture. No, I'm with you, but I'm, the question is really, does yellowtail inhibit getting, you know, does it... Does because it it's inexpensive. Inhibit and it's not a good example of Australian wine. Oh, look, I think uh, from my point of view, and as much as I love wine, you can only have so many glasses of wine every day or week and so I always I don't know, make sure. That sounds sure. like a gauntlet thrown. I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> yeah, don't tell that to her. Hey. Yeah, I mean seriously. <laughs> well, I always make sure make it count. Have something ethereal that's going to bring a great experience that you can enjoy with friends, because it's enjoying everything on the journey the way through that's important to me. Excellent. Okay. Well, should we take a break now, and then we can can we take an early break, Andy? We said okay, let's take an early break, and then we can get into our spirited discussion. Uh, this is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be right back. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and uh, briefly, I want to thank our sponsors for making the show possible. Our friends at Profish, the Yay, great Pro sustainable fish. fish out there, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, and they're right off New York Avenue, easy to find. Central Farm Markets. Uh, meat crafters and the market at River Falls. And if you're barbecuing this summer, you cannot find better stuff to barbecue than right out at everything at the oh, market at River Falls in Potomac. Yeah. Yes, it's terrific. Amazing steaks. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, are we going to go back to Bruce? Or no. we're gonna, we, all right. Well, then let's talk to Chris Mendenhall about zapping whiskey. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're the you. chief mixologist at the Ritz Carlton Washington, D.C. A quadrant bar, right? I am. Okay. And where did this, first of all, why don't you provide a quick overview of what it is you guys are doing, and then we'll talk about how you got into this crazy science stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're doing is we're taking existing whiskeys, and we're doing cask mimics, and we are blasting them with concentrated sound waves. And I know, but what, whose idea was that? Like, who was like, this sounds like something we should do. Were you smoking something? Yeah, like, this sounds like something we That's another do. proposition. Yeah. Right. Um, so one of the, I got caught down the Google black hole reading about whiskeys and how the pricing and the demand is getting way out of control right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I there's like a whiskey festival every weekend. Every week. right, and totally with the you. demand is so high, not only here in the States, but in China and India. And, you know, it's not like vodka and gin. You you can't make it in a couple days. You mm -hmm. have to ha you have to age it. It takes time. So mm -hmm. there are some people who are way more intelligent than I am who are using science to see if there's a way that they can kickstart this process. Um, and it, it kind of evolved from that. Uh, so what is the process? So the process is, we ours is very rudimentary, okay, based with what people are doing around the world. Right. We, we can't control oxygen levels. We can't control temperature. And we, we're very clear in saying we're not actually aging the spirit. What we're doing, we're imparting characteristics of age. So we're, what does that mean? Uh, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> <So> <laughs> it that, sounds really good. Those are my big words for okay, the day. Excellent. So, what, what you should it, throw in a couple SAT words should, while you're at it. Your big words, Chris. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, so what does that mean? So, 
as whiskey ages, um, you know, when you put, let me back up. When you put whiskey into a cask, it's clear. It's basically moonshine, right? Mm -hmm. So those flavors, those caramels, those vanilla notes, the, the color, that's all coming from the wood and the casks that they use. And, and basically, the longer that it's in there, the more mellow it's going to get, the more round it's going to get, the more flavor is going to be imparted into it. And so uh, that's why you have, you'll see labels, four years, eight years. You know, scotch, you're going to have 12 years, mm -hmm. 18 years, right. 25 years. So we're taking whiskey, and we're taking the wood chips to mimic casts. So, for instance, with the first one that we're going to taste, we take uh, new American oak, and we actually soak it in the same whiskey. And so what, then we blast so it with So are you waves. using actual whiskey? We're or using, using actual whiskey. We are not making whiskey. We are not a distiller. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and look, I should have warned you a little bit. So Woo. this, this uh, we, we're using whiskeys that anyone can buy off a shelf. Okay. Um, do this you, does it matter what kind of whiskey you're using? Like, are you picking a whiskey that is uh, has specific notes already and you're enhancing those notes? Or are you like, no, we want to totally give it a new flavor profile? Yeah, the answer is yes to both of those. Okay. So... For this first one, we we picked something really big, as as <laughs> as you learned as really quickly, David, yeah. um, right? And it's gonna let you know there. It's 120 proof. It's a huge whiskey. And, Everybody, and, take a big sip. Come on. Because <laughs> if you're not awake, you will be now. That we haven't really talked about because exactly how you know you could. It, it almost sounds like you're pouring whiskey into a glass, putting a tree branch in there, and putting it in front of a record player. That's not what's happening. That's you're not. That's not what's this, happening. You're like scientists in the lab blasting it with a sound laser, basically. Yeah, it's 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 concentrated sound waves. So, but what is uh, that? What do you use? How does that? How does it work? So, so what what happens when it's aging in the cask? For instance, in Kentucky, you have the seasons, right? Right. So as as when it's summertime, the pores of the cask are going to open up. It's going to absorb the whiskey. When it gets cold, the pores spit are going to close. Out, it's right. going to spit it out. So that that happens over the course of time. What this machine is doing is basically agitating that and making that happen really, really, really but fast. What machine? What do you use? What is we it? we don't disclose the machine that we're actually oh, using. Right. Yep. So uh, it's a it, secret. It's a secret. It's 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 one of our only secrets. They have a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it's a culinary device, and it's basically a homogenizer. Uh, you can we we yeah, discovered you're it. Yeah, you really good at keeping secrets. Good job there. <laughs> yeah, here it is. Here's you the one. Stop drinking the whiskey before you come on the radio. That's um, but it, they use it to you know blend oil and vinegar and things of mm -hmm. that nature. So we're just using it for another purpose. Okay. So how many? So like you have all these like pots and potions over here. Yeah. So like, tell us what you're doing over so here. So the first so the first one we gave you again it's 120 proof Kentucky bourbon. And it's I can aged. vouch for that. It, it is. is. It, okay. it definitely is. It's aged nine years. Um, and, and then, then what you <clears throat> did to it did what? So then we took we took New American Oak, mm -hmm. which is what in Kentucky they aged their whiskey in, mm -hmm. uh, and then we soaked it in this same 120 proof spirit. Okay. Uh, and then we put it into our machine with mm. new with the whiskey, mm -hmm. and we blast it with the sound waves for about the time you watch a television show, um, and it takes it to a point where it's now rounded it out. Mm -hmm. um, we're not saying what how old we think it is. We can give you a window. We think it's in the high teens or low twenties, comparable. Okay. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, and we're really excited about it because you know not everyone has the means to. It's buy. actually a little more mellow than. Yeah, not I everyone think. has the means to buy a uh, hundred and twenty dollar whiskey. So mm -hmm. uh, we're really excited about showing you know people again. This is what time does. We're not actually aging it. We're not actually, you know, giving you a 20-year-old whiskey, but we're giving you a whiskey that now has characteristics of time. It's really fascinating. So how are you playing with other – are you trying other woods? Are you trying other things? We are. So, so, so the other one that we do, we – you know, this one we're just showing you what the machine can do. The mm -hmm. other one – the other whiskeys that we have, and we have a total of four right now, 
Mm-hmm. Um, we're taking different woods and we're soaking them in different spirits. So basically, we're doing recasts. Um, the one that we have here, this is a 107 proof uh, Kentucky bourbon. Mm-hmm. Why is he handing it to me? So it's a little you. lower. It's, it's not as it's not as bad. And that's, okay. that's one's the change. I this is the change. Okay, right. so this is an, an original form, right. and this is the change right. form. And this one we soaked. We took we took American oak again this time, but we soaked it in ten year port. Mm-hmm. So oh, interesting. Uh, it's going to have the characteristics of time. It's going to mellow it out. But with the port, it's going to enrich it a little bit as well. So when people come to Quadrant, how do you showcase this to them? So right now, uh, we have it on our back bar, and it's on display. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when you see it, it's kind of everyone kind of get a head tilt like and what, say, what, what what's exactly going on here? Doing? Right. What is sound? Right. Um, but the way, real way. I mean, we, is there a demonstration that goes along with this? Or there's no? not a demonstration. Okay. No, it's just a long-winded. Because then you would give away real your quick spe- right. speech. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but it's been fun, and 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 trying to explain it to and are seeing you making people's cocktails reactions. with it too, or just serving? We are not making up. cocktails yet. Uh, we will eventually be doing it. Our new menu is going to come out at towards the end of June. Uh, mm-hmm. Our cocktail menu is about 110. We should make pages. sure people know this is the Ritz Carlton at 22nd and M. Yes. Correct. Washington D.C., not Georgetown. Not yep. Georgetown, right. right? And we're in the we have we have the West End Bistro, which is our featured restaurant, and then we're in Quadrant, which is the right. featured bar, which is the bar there. So you're offering four. We have four right now. So okay. we have we have two Kentucky bourbons, mm-hmm. uh, and then we have a uh, we have a uh, American rye. Mm-hmm. That we take uh, French oak with a medium toast and we soak that in cognac and do the same process. Interesting. And then we have my personal favorite, which is a Tennessee whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I promise it's not Jack Daniels. Okay. Uh, and we take French oak <laughs> and we are soaking it in sherry. Wow. So do you really get the sherry notes on that? You do. Interesting. Now, do you think you can apply this to wine? Can you apply this to other spirits? We we are definitely going to be launching it with other things. We plan on doing a, a, a rum and a few tequilas. Mm-hmm. We're also going to be experimenting with a single malt. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... It would be very nice if you could figure out a Benjamin Button version where you take <laughs> something that's very old and take it backwards because Absolutely. I would stick my face into it. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. This okay. is crazy. It's a yeah, crazy... It's yeah. really interesting. Who it's was doing this? You found this somewhere on the on the, on the the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who who th- came up with this idea? I, you know, I don't know who bit, who originally came up with it. Um, you know, there's it's, it's a lot of scientific principles that are that are that are people are doing uh, using pressure and sound waves. Um, you know, there's a there's a distillery up in New York that's using uh, actual music and they're they're partnering with musicians to to age their whiskey and they're that's they're really doing it for cool. much much longer time. That's a great idea. Yeah. And then there's a company in the Carolinas that's that's using, you know, they're they're focusing on they're using sound waves as well, but they're also controlling oxygen levels and temperature levels and being able to do this process over the course of okay. m- much time. But yeah, there's people all over the place that are really, really toying around with this. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see the direction that it goes. Obviously, right. the purists may not enjoy it, but uh, it's it's definitely a fun It's fun. Tour. It's something fun to do. I love it. All, All right, right, so l- tell everybody where they can find you. So we are at uh, the Ritz-Carlton, Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 1150 22nd Street, uh, Northwest. And it's and the Bar Quadrant. Go Quadrant see Chris. Okay, All right, go thanks, see Chris. Man. All right. All right, Bruce. Bruce, come back up show's to the mic. almost over. Do you have another wine to pour? He does. Absolutely. Let's We're about it. to look at another Margaret River Cabernet Sauvignon, mm-hmm. which is the Domain I love the Naturalist. I you say that. I know, me too. 2015 Rebus Cabernet. Okay. All right. And Tell so us a little a bit. Rebus, of, what are we looking for? Yes. Well, a Rebus is a picture puzzle, and when you look at that picture puzzle, the solution isn't necessarily apparent straight away. So after a quarter of a century of working with Margaret River Cabernet, it still challenges me. It still pushes me. 
have I made the right decisions? And I'm continually looking at that puzzle, thinking, how could I have done things differently? Now, is this That's a, a rebus. A prebus doesn't push you at okay, all. It doesn't. Um, now, is this a wine that you would age longer? This is a wine that has a 20-year sort of aging window. Mm-hmm. But the wines, uh, to me, always have to be balanced and fragrant and soft from the beginning of their life. And they'll continue to age and continue to mature, but they always have to be in balance from the beginning. Right. Okay. Well, we'll look forward well, wait, to pouring I want that. To hear, I want to hear from Eric. Where do we find Naturalist? Yes. Domain, Domain Naturalist. Domain Naturalist. So we have Schneider's on Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. Bassins, MacArthur Liquor, Calvert Woodley, Bel- all the Balducci's, Kerry Woods Wines, uh, Rodman's, and your, uh, your neck of the woods, Old Town Market. Yeah. Georgetown Square, Wine and Cheese. Wait, how does he know where we live? Are you stalking <laughs> us? <laughs> I'm stalking you guys. Fenwick. Didn't I see you walking your dog? Yeah, yes, you did. You did. Tacoma um, Park, Co-op, uh, Bethesda so Co-op, and so the forth. Metro so you're area. everywhere. We're, okay. in, we're in some good places. We've got to work you, on uh, nice some of the... We'd like to see some more restaurants. Uh, so we've hint, got a, hint. Restaurant. Well, none, none, none of these people are getting out of here alive. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Coffee and the wine. Coffee, wine. Right. <laughs> well, we've got to work on our distributor a little bit. That's why Bruce is here. So we're going to spend some time working in the market over the next few days. Okay, so. terrific. Well, right. Bruce, well, thank you so much for coming in. It was a real treat to have you. The show is essentially over. The Everything you heard is- about on the show today, you can find more information on uh, com. Nikki's mm-hmm. website. That's true. Follow her on WTOP Live at 1240 every Thursday and mm-hmm. recorded every other day of the week. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram, and that's kind of it. Don't no, follow me anywhere. No, you totally forgot I'm to mention. I'm completely disinterested in Hello. being followed. You totally forgot to mention our second show on Mondays, which is Industry Night at the Line Hotel. Oh, yeah, that. Uh, yeah, we have a whole other show. It's on Monday nights at the Line Hotel. You can listen to that on Full Service Radio. Dot we want to thank all of our guests for joining us in studio today. We talked about some really important things like why you're saying no to Initiative 77 and some really delicious things like sound-waved spirits and mm. fabulous wine from Australia and, of course, Roasted coffee from Candy. So we want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. Uh, We will not be in studio next week, but we will be the week after. And July is National Ice Cream Month, and we are celebrating in studio with Ice Cream Jubilee. And I can't wait. I was going to ask why we weren't here next week, but now I know. It's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. I gave him the day I'm going to get mine, buddy. (laughs) Anyway, thank you all for joining us today. Please have a delicious week. 